Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. So we are here back at you again on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Um, I know there were some notifications as to when we were going to go live, but wherever you are listening to this, we are now is the time. <laughs> now is the time that we are actually doing this. Um, for the operators who are boots on the ground in the nursing home world, you, you people are amazing. You're literally risking your lives every single day um, to care for those who can no longer care for themselves, those who the elderly, those who ha- who are compromised medically. And it, it, it's really uh, the work that you do every single day is amazing, but over here, literally putting your lives on the line here with exposing yourself to to this uh, to the coronavirus, to COVID-19. And of course, every facility has infection control policies and there are systems in place for to ensuring and mitigating, managing, you know, the risk that's involved. But but really, first of all, just just stop for a moment in the middle of the chaos and middle of the craziness. And, and realize how special you are and how great you are. And that if there wouldn't be selfless giving people like you, and I'm not just talking to on the administration level, I'm talking maybe even more specifically to the line staff, to the nurses who are leaving their families. So then CNAs, the nurses aides that are leaving their families, coming to the facility, changing their clothes before they come in, doing the best that they can and praying to God that they're not bringing it to their families or from their families to the facilities. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're amazing, and you deserve everybody's utmost respect, admiration, um, for the work, for the work that you're doing. So, first of all, thank you to all of you who, who are actually doing this. It's, it's amazing, and just I know, um, you know, Megan and I were talking before the show, and, the, you know, there's multiple challenges that exist because of the COVID-19 uh, in every part of society, right? The whole world is basically shut down to some extent, one extent or another, depending where you are um, on the globe. But the, specifically in the nursing home world, besides for the infection control, you have anxious family members who can't get through to their loved ones. They're, you know, at the window trying to say hello and getting and not really being able to communicate. And they're nervous about what's going on. You have staff who cannot come. I know, I think we mentioned this yesterday that in one of the big Boston hospitals, they, you know, as of, I think it was last week, they sent home 50% of their staff or something like that as reserves. So that if God forbid, those who are providing for the care of the patients now are all infected. We need, you know, fresh staff that are available. So. There, they have all these other challenges that are there. Anyway, so we went back and we wanted to bring uh, Megan Crosser back 
on the Nursing Home Podcast on this live episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, where Megan is the infection control spe specialist at eInfection MD. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. I did. Okay, awesome. And uh, we spoke briefly on an earlier episode, but we wanted to kind of dive in a little bit further and really try to help those who are on the front lines, even if it's just, you know, just with some words of encouragement, but even more importantly, with some practical uh, tips and information and maybe best practices. So first of all, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time and coming back on the Nursing Home Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's a it's a pleasure, and you know there there are multiple times you know when we have a great episode I'm like you should actually be back at Sultan that it actually happens. I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. Um, so Megan, tell me, so you're working currently with with other facilities with other homes. What do you see right now as the biggest challenge in your interactions with these facilities because of the COVID nineteen coronavirus? Yeah, so I think that's a great question and it's timely and important, especially when we're starting to see this increase of cases. So what I'm seeing um, in some facilities are just making sure they have established basic infection control uh, programs in place, that their policies are well implemented throughout their facility. So that's first and foremost. Um, second, of course, now we have this other challenge of the facility is in lockdown, staff might be getting sick. So how do we work around those obstacles as well? Not Some of them are not really an infection control issue, but certainly some areas that we have to work around to make sure we're accommodating for these patients or residents, but also for staff being off. Um, you know, this is an evolving situation. Every day, it seems like there's new information, there's an increase in cases, there's different pockets across the US that are seeing an increase of cases. So really the basic infection control practices in these nursing homes is so key. And making sure that their personal protective equipment is properly being utilized. Um, because they need to save that equipment and make sure they're using it to the best um, processes possible to protect their staff and their residents. Um, so those are really the key, just making sure we have those established basic infection control practices. Those will go a long way. Okay. So, so I mean, thank you for the very full and complete answer. Um, you know, the first thing to say when there's infection con control practices, every facility has infection control practices and policies. The problem is that many times the policies are in a dusty binder somewhere on the nurse's station or on a desktop icon on the nurse's computers, which are seldom um, consulted with. Uh, and, you know, they kind of do what they do and whatever the, the things that actually change uh, the practice within the facility, at least from in my experience, is when you get cited for deficiency in the survey, so then, okay, so now from now on, we used to do this. Now we were cited, we were caught, we were busted, we were taught, educated, in service, and now we do it this way. And now that's never going to happen again. And that thing becomes super important. I mean, it gets the same thing um, when your kids are in school and, you know, you remember what you got wrong on the test. Hopefully you have a parent that's smart enough not to just focus on 
you idiots. Why did you get that wrong? And that's not the reason why you remember, but you remember because we learn from failing. That's how it is in life. So we have best practices. We have infection control policies, which are very sometimes complex, sometimes too complex. And we, we hope and that this is done every day. I, let me try to make some sense here. If every facility was actually doing everything that they were supposed to be doing based on their infection control policies, would this look as bad as it currently does in the nursing home world? You know, I don't believe so. I think we would probably be a little bit more ahead of the game. Um, if you see some recent literature out there, even these five-star facilities have infection control issues. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. Having these policies in a binder or on the uh, computer somewhere, I'm glad you have them and ready for your survey, but just making sure that they're implemented is key. So saying, oh yeah, we have a hand hygiene policy. Okay, well, if I go out on the hallway to see what your staff are doing and they're not performing hand hygiene, then you obviously do not have a policy that's well implemented throughout your facility. So those are just the keys. So when I talk about having a well-established infection control program, it really means more than just what's written on paper. It's well implemented throughout your entire facility. So if you have a kitchen, all the processes within your kitchen, you should be able to go see and not observe any really, you know, huge infection control issues. Yes, to air is human. We will see some lapses here and there, but we hope that this is in place that are well integrated enough where we don't have any major lapses in infection control. Uh, laundry is another area. Transmission-based precautions. So I'm talking about your contact and droplet precautions. Um, even just your standard precautions, you know, again, going back to the hand hygiene, use gloves as needed, aseptic technique when cleaning and changing wounds, you know, uh, dressings, different things like that. So it's more than just having a three ring binder with policies in place. It's having those processes well integrated into your facility. Okay. I mean, and that's, it's a challenge, you know, the nursing mm -hmm. homes operate with very limited resources. And when we need to put a nurse on the schedule, we need to put a CNA on the schedule, the orientation. Listen, I've been in the nursing home industry for a number of years. I still never once went through a full orientation period. Mm -hmm. I've given orientations and helped facilitate them, but I never actually got one. And, and unfortunately there are a lot of nurses and CNAs that can say the same story because they're short-staffed we finally have a nurse that agreed to come at a price that we could afford who somewhat lives locally or whatever it is desperate enough to work for us <laughs> or whatever it is we find someone here we, we need to get them on the shift and we have we on the floor and we need to fill that shift today so orientation yeah so you know the other nurse on the other card is going to kind of look over and that's what it is yes them you know a month or a year or two years later what's this facility's policy on x uh, you know, they, they kind of, and to them, and they're not wrong, a nurse is a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. So they know what all the other facilities do, and it's pretty much the same thing, and that's what we do. But, like, this is a, an example of where, like, what you're saying is that if the facility was actually doing the infection control the way the policy states, it wouldn't always be that, that way. And, and, again, just to be clear, this is not an indictment at all on the nursing the nursing the nurses the cnas or or even nursing home 
uh, practices, N not at all. And some of the policies, it might even be appropriate for them to be in the three grinder. You don't have shingles outbreak every day. If you have a coronavirus, let's say you had a coronavirus policy, which I guess wasn't possible because it's new, but even the COVID-19 version at least is new. But even, even if you had such a policy, it, that might be okay that now that you have a new type of virus going around your facility, you go to your binder to look it up and see what the, you know, what you do. But the things that are pertinent and relevant every single day, that's something that should be, like I said, a well-implemented policy is a professional way of saying that you're actually doing what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. pretty much. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. That you're following yeah. evidence-based practices and national guidelines with infection control. So, got it. So your role in your company is that you are the infection control, I don't know, policewoman slash educator slash enforcer um, for your clients. And they're paying you to do this because they realize that this is something that's important. How do you actually make that happen? Because you know the challenges in the industry. You know that you don't have this big fancy boardroom with tons of extra hours that the facility could afford to give this hands-on training and watch these videos and walking through the holes. It's kind of, you know, we're flying by the seat of, you know, by the seat of our pants type of thing. So how do you actually implement that? And, and more importantly, just for a moment, and I'll let you go, but even more importantly for listeners who want to know how they can implement this, you know, they're struggling with the same thing. The reason why it's not implemented is because they don't have the time or the space to do this. So how do you actually get it done? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And I think whether you're in a nursing home or any other type of healthcare facility, I think really it starts with having that leadership buy-in. If you can get the administration to buy in and help lead that charge um, and really stress the importance of it, that really goes a long way. And then what I like to do when I go into nursing homes, I go through a full-on, almost like a CMS assessment. So I don't just look at the policies and three ring binder. In fact, you know, that's usually last on my list. What I do is I look to make sure infection prevention uh, program is well implemented throughout the entire facility. And when I find those areas of opportunity, what I like to do is risk stratify it. So where are our highest risk opportunities? Find those gaps and, and do a gap analysis to really start chipping away at the high risk areas. So for instance, a great example is, um, you know, especially with talking about COVID-19 infections, ensuring that they have the proper disinfectants and proper cleaning um, programs in place. So going through observing EVS, rounding with them, making sure that they have those disinfectants readily available. You know, for instance, if they're using a bleach solution, are they diluting it properly? Is it being applied properly to surfaces with the appropriate contact surface disinfectant time? So really, I mean, that's really going down into the specifics, but that's how I like to do it. And that's typically what you would see most infection control practitioners, um, you know, who are experienced in this would do. They get into those details and then they help chip away at those higher risk areas to go on. But again, a lot of it starts with that leadership. Having the right leadership um, buy-in really helps, um, you know, drive those infection control practices. And I will say one thing. I can't tell you of a facility I've been in where once you start talking to the staff, they're upset that you're there. They feel so encouraged and so supported 
by um, leadership bringing us in to help support their staff and really help engage them and make sure that they're you know that they're supported but that they also have that knowledge to provide proper care to residents and and not only that but just to keep themselves safe too well no so I would say that the short answer to my question, based on what you just said, is that you basically do a DPH survey or or a CMS survey. So you do uh, accept that your goal is not gotcha. Your goal is saved saved you. So in other words, we're not trying to see, oh, you didn't do this policy. Now I'm going to yell at you and make you cry, which unfortunately does happen um, when, you know, when, all right, that's a whole separate conversation, how surveys work. But uh, unfortunately, the, the, that itself is is not, is not always the way it works. But you basically come in with the same intensity, um, except that how could I help you mitigate risks to your patients and to your staff? Absolutely. I mean, so I mean that's such a healthy, um, that's a much healthier way of doing it. I know my when I was the AIT administrator in training, and I was going around with um, in a certain facility, I was going around with the survey staff. And I was that annoying idiot. Uh, they used to call me Sponge because they used to ask millions and millions of questions. I wouldn't let anyone off the hook until I understood what they were saying, kind of what we're doing right mm-hmm. now. And um, in the beginning, I thought this is really cool. Like we're both really on the same team. And sometimes that's really the case where someone has to be giving the care and someone has to be ensuring that the care is being done properly so that the public has the trust in the system. Uh, I'm not going to give the full details of the case when my innocence was shattered and I experienced a certain surveyor uh, interact with a resident in a way that was horrible, disgusting, um, I and actually did file a complaint. But then I found out from other people that this person is there to kind of stir things up and there's a whole list of complaints against them. And for whatever reason, they turned a the blind eye. But the, my point is, so then I learned that there is a lot of cat and mouse going on. But if we hire somebody to come in for a specific issue for infection control, we've identified or we're working with your company, but we want Megan to come into my nursing home because we we a we want to ensure that that we're set up properly and that we don't have viruses coming in. We don't have any contagious disease, infectious disease in the facility. And, and we also, you know, we want we want to improve in this area. And like you said, you know, you have administration buy-in, and it's clear that this is not um, this is not something that we're this is not we're not playing gotcha. We're not trying to see where you did wrong. We're not docking money from your paycheck. We're not firing people. This is something where we're like you said, we're um, we're supporting that which is done clinically in the building every single day. This is this is work which is going to ensure that you do a better job and you feel better about your job. You're not mm-hmm. saying, "Oh my gosh," you know. Sometimes nurses will tell random residents, strangers, or sometimes the walls about how overwhelmed they are that this is not legal. I have 27 residents and I'm all by myself. And but this is the opposite. This is like we, we understand what you're doing. We're, let's give you the tools so that you can be successful. We understand that. You, maybe you'll never go through that three ring binder and maybe you'll never go through every single policy that's there. Although some people geek out on this stuff, most people don't. Um, mm-hmm. But we're gonna go through here. We're gonna, we're gonna bring in our expert, Megan, who is the nerd, 
<laughs> and has gone through all the stuff and likes getting down in the down and dirty in the details. We're gonna walk through the facility with you. We're going to not say, "Oh my gosh, how could you do this?" But we'll right. give you a, a, what, what is your process actually? Because and the reason why it's important is because people can do this internally to some extent also. They may not have the resources. So so how do you do it? Do you do a full survey and keep it hush hush and then come with a report afterwards? Do you show people as you're going around like what? So I'll certainly ask, you know, um, to pair, partner with different service lines. So whether that be nursing to observe nursing practices and ask them questions, partner with the culinary staff, EVS. So it's not like I'm walking around by myself, just randomly observing people. That's, that's not my style. I'd rather have a conversation with someone. Of course, like you mentioned, um, you know, people get nervous when you're just standing there uh, watching them, you know, so I talk to them, I ask them to explain their process to me, um, maybe goes, um, you know, so say, for instance, I'm rounding with nursing, um, a nursing assistant, for instance, and I want to know some process that she's doing to care for the patient. And yeah. we'll talk it through, um, you know, and then yeah, I'll, I'll certainly have a conversation with them and I'll make sure that they know this is not punitive. I'm not here to get, punitive. you know, that's what I was looking I'm, for before. Yeah. I'm not here to get you fired. You know, I'm not going to get you in trouble. This is all learning, right? It's a learning Do people opportunity. people ever get fired as a result of your surveys? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I guess if they did something really, you know, egregious, I, I'm sure there's probably some sort of, uh, you know, follow-up action on them. But, um, you know, that certainly is not my intent. I haven't ever observed, I don't think, anything, you know. <laughs> and how, do they, how do they receive your spiel when you tell them why you're there? Um, you know, they're actually, like I mentioned before, they're usually pretty excited, um, you know, that I'm there. A lot of times they come with their whole host of questions. And really? so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's usually well received because like you said, it's not, it's not like I'm, you know, the health department coming in and doing a state survey and I'm going to, you know, give you all these tags and ding you on this and that. That's not it at all. I'm here so you can ask me your questions and we can work through your processes together because some things aren't a one size fits all. It could be, you know, certain processes within that facility specifically, and we'll work together, go through the guidelines and evidence-based practice to make sure that they are doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So do they view this as survey preparation, like a mock survey type of thing? Or is this, do, can they, it's so ingrained and entrenched in the industry that there's, you know, what we do every day, and then there's how we deal with the surveyors and how we play cat and mouse and, and how we make sure we come out in the best way possible. So do they, two things, from the staffing perspective, the nurses and the CNAs that you're actually talking to, so do they view you as, okay, let's be nice to Megan, first of all, because someone must be paying her, and she's, she's gonna help us be successful on our survey and therefore we should we should use her for that and also the operators that bring you in are they gen I mean, obviously you can't know what their intentions are but are they coming in because they realize infection control is so important and we have to you know we have to be careful with this 
Or maybe it's just, you know, if Megan comes in and then Megan for Department of Public Health comes in, we'll be in a better place because we already fixed, you know, uh, we already fixed those problems. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, I mean, I, I don't know if they have malintentions in the back end or not. I certainly have never felt that way. Um, in fact, too, because it's not just a one-time thing, right? So um, it's not just you go in one day, you come up with your report, and then you're gone. So it's really getting entrenched with their team, being that subject matter expert, being that expert resource that they can reach out to as they need it, as they need, you know, whether it's email, phone calls, whatever. So I really do feel very much part of these teams in these different facilities. Um, you know, I'm sure there's probably always going to be staff that aren't happy that you're watching them or whatnot, but I try to, right. you know, my personality is to try to put people at ease because ultimately I just want the best for, you know, the resident, but just for the staff in general. So they do feel supported and they do know that they're doing the right processes. So like you mentioned earlier, home to their families. Got it. Got it. Okay. Let, let's go straight to coronavirus right now. So do you discourage facilities from accepting residents with a uh, confirmed COVID-19 diagnosis? So I think that's not a one-size-fits-all type answer. If your okay. facility can properly care for somebody with confirmed COVID-19 and they are not so sick that they need to remain in an acute care setting, then certainly yes. If you have the ability, you have the PPE, you have trained individuals who can properly care for that resident, then you know, I would obviously um, work with your local health department also because I believe some counties or some communities are not advising transfer right now. Um, but again, I think it's not a one size fits all. And you need to make sure you have sound processes in place to properly care for them. Got it. I mean, because I've heard from an operator recently that, you know, all they're doing is praying that it doesn't come into their facility because it's a death sentence to a lot of people in the facility. If even one comes in, yes, they know they should, you know, everything that they should be doing and that they would do. But at the end of the day, it's, it's very, it's, it, besides being a fragile population, it's a community, right? This is, this is, yeah. they're not individuals and anything that's there, unfortunately, even with the best infection control practices in place, it's not, it's not perfect. And it's, possible with with doing everything right even if megan was there that's you <laughs> you were doing every part of the process uh and you were every nurse you were every cna and you had unlimited funds it's still possible uh for these things to spread so i just know that some people are saying absolutely not some people are saying you know it depends um and that's another challenge also a lot of facilities right now are struggling with ppe you know the yeah. the, the prices on this stuff Know that you have the price gougers who are just taking advantage of a bad situation, um, but they're still making a lot of money. Um, and then it's just the normal economy, supply and demand. That you know, masks. You know, they say that they're hiding marijuana and toilet. No, they're hiding toilet paper and marijuana these days. <laughs> you know, they're reversing things around because yeah. you know what's valuable and what's not valuable is you know the world is touching turvy right now. But the point is that if you it, that you think there is it's not an automatic no right yeah again um you know everything is changing daily so there could be some huge mandate that comes out 
you know, tomorrow morning that says absolutely no transfers, no admissions, what have you. But I think that you need to work within your local health department, um, your county health department to determine if they should be transferring cases back and forth, different things like that. Um, and then two, I know that some of these local health departments that are still allowing those um, admissions with a positive case are actually going into the facility as well in some of those instances, just to make sure that they have PPE, staff availability, different things like that. So you think the Department of Public Health themselves are coming in and ensuring that everything is done properly? I have heard that that's happening, yes. Well just to add more stress to an already super stressful situation. Now yeah. let's move to another case. So you have a resident inside the facility, which uh, with a confirmed uh, coronavirus diagnosis, so not a new admission, because like you said, that's a whole separate conversation. Uh, what's best infection control practices for that resident to make sure that it doesn't spread and that you provide the best possible care for that resident? Yeah, so as long as the patient or the resident is stable enough where they, you know, do not need a higher level of care, mm -hmm. then what would need to happen is contact and droplet precautions would need to be implemented. Staff would have to also wear eye protection. Most are wearing a full face shield, um, like a clear face shield over the masks, and then gown and gloves. Um, if that patient is requiring some sort of respiratory treatment, like a nebulizer treatment, they would need to be in an airborne isolation room. So there's different levels to this. Again, it's not necessarily all these patients would require this. There can be different levels to it. So I would say that if that patient's stable enough and really not super symptomatic where they're going to be requiring higher levels of respiratory care. Um, mm -hmm. That would be those droplet um, and contact precautions with the eye protection. The other thing is with talking about infection control, what I would do with these cases is if you, you for instance, like the vital tower where you're taking the blood pressure and the temperature, I would just designate that to that patient's room. Um, and then cohorting staff. So this can be in a nursing home setting where you may not have multiple RNs or even LPNs in the hallway to help, but um, cohorting and designating that staff member to just care for that one person is usually optimal. Um, so that would eliminate EVS going into the room, culinary with their trays, just really limiting the traffic that would be going into that person's room. Mm -hmm. I mean, so yeah. not, not an easy situation, that's for sure, in a nursing home setting. Um, some are more equipped than others. So, you know, we have a, a broad range there, but, um, you know, again, it's, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all type situation or answer. Well, why are we seeing um, the full... Uh, body uh, masks that I, I personally haven't seen before and I'm seeing it now where for regular infection control purposes when we have someone in a room with an infectious disease you know a gown, gown mask gloves usually is sufficient well, what's I know you mentioned covering the eyes and the rest of the face why mm -hmm. is that necessary and was that really always necessary 
So, you know, we are continuing to learn a lot more about this uh, virus and how it's shed, how you can actually transmit it. Um, we know that it can, you can actually become infected through your mucous membranes. And I think a lot of times people forget your eyes are one of our mucous membranes. So having the full face shield or even just goggles with the mask that can cover the nose and mouth is sufficient. Um, but that full face shield really helps protect, you know, any risk of transmission to your face if you're within that close contact of somebody with COVID. Got it. And, you know, these precautions, if, say, COVID stays around for another, you know, season, um, one may be willing to speculate that it could, those precautions could change a little bit. Again, we just, we just don't know very much about it yet. Okay. Now, moving on to no confirmed cases in the skilled nursing facility, um, we're starting to see symptoms maybe in one or two residents hopefully um is it important to test them and if it's not uh, and regardless if you test them or if you don't test them what would you do differently if anything yeah so again if they have an undiagnosed respiratory infection so they're starting to display some signs and symptoms of course you would want to consult infectious disease provider to to fully assess that patient. But initially, placement into those transmission-based precautions, as I mentioned, will be extremely helpful to help prevent any transmission. Hopefully, it just ends up being, you know, a cold or, you know, everything comes back negative and we're, they're really not concerned about coronavirus. But I would urge everyone to automatically place them into those um, transmission-based precautions. Them, so you treat them as if they have it. Um, Treat them as it, got it. And uh, is there a purpose in testing for it? Because I know people are scrambling for tests. Yeah. So, you know, again, that would be the infectious disease uh, providers guidance on um, testing. They may want to do other testing first. So I would leave it up to the discretion of the physician for that. Yeah, but what's your opinion? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you would do the deciding factor, but what do you think? Is there, is there really a point in confirming 100%? I think, it, you know, knowledge is power. I don't think that they shouldn't test and just assume at this point. Um, if the page or the resident is meeting that criteria for testing, um, I would certainly probably test, you know, but I would also test for other viruses as well to rule out influenza, RSV, or anything else. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, wow, I just realized how long we've been talking here. Uh, we've been providing so much value here, and we're getting, like, really uh, very, very practical information uh, that you've been sharing of what operators can, can actually implement today uh, while they're struggling with um you know with managing this and like you said it's it's ever changing and you know minute by minute day by day it's it's changing uh we're in the beginning you know there were a lot of people even in the medical community on physician level and you know it, it's a flu it's a little bit more concerning a little more contagious but you know, the, the distinction wasn't so clear as it is right now when we realized that, you know the flu never shut down the world um right. You know, so this type of illness did have that effect 
um, on the world. Just before we let you go, just um, from a staffing perspective, making sure and monitoring that the staff are, you know, continue to remain healthy and that they are not bringing it into the facility. Any best, best, bleh, any best practices that you would share uh, with our listeners and viewers actually um, yeah. in that regard? Yeah, so uh, most facilities have completely restricted all visitors. I think we should mention that very quickly. But everyone else they're letting in the building. So from the staffing provider perspective, those people should be screened daily. Um, I've seen this throughout all the nursing care facilities. Their temperatures are being checked. They're being asked if they have any respiratory symptoms. Um, you know, I recently where they're starting to have a little bit less focus on travel outside of the country, but I know that's still a question being asked. Um, cruise ships, of course, is another thing if they've been on a cruise within the past two weeks. The majority of your staff aren't, you know, necessarily new coming in, but I think the key for is, a cruise. Yeah. The key <laughs> is the screening for the fever and uh, the respiratory symptoms. And then I think other thing too is um, everyone is really loosening up on these sick policies. So really not dinging employees if they're calling in sick. Um, we're really advising people to take ownership. If you are not feeling well, you have a fever, you have respiratory symptoms, don't come to work sick. Yeah, the problem is, you know this, nurses are the worst patients in the world <laughs> and they'll come with 104 fever coughing away, but they try not to cough on the patients directly. They do this because of the reason why they went into this to begin with is because they genuinely care, which is why, you know, if someone worked in, um, you know, in a bagel store and they heard that there's a chance if they, there's a chance that if they come into the bagel store, they might contract an infectious disease that is beside, you know, that can be potentially fatal. Chances are they would find a different bagel store to work in. Um, this, you know, the care providers, the caregivers, in this industry and really in healthcare in general are not phased by this at all. And they're like, okay, this is, you know, another day at work, we're gonna, we're gonna do what we're supposed to do and that's it. Um, so, which is why many times on a regular, under regular circumstances, they're gonna show up even though sometimes maybe they shouldn't. So now we're saying nurses, don't be nurses, you know, be patients. You know, yeah. if, if you have, you know, if you're not feeling well, then be open about it. and. And some of there's also responsibility more in the nursing home world than, you know, the acute care setting in the hospitals and maybe, you know, physicians where the, you have the 24 seven care and a, a limited, uh, you know, a limited uh, rotation of staff to cover it. And they know the effect that they're going to have, especially now. And, you know, and, and also more people are actually sick now. So that definitely um, increases the challenge to some extent. Um, any final words, Megan, before we let you leave, um, any final tips to help nursing home operators survive and thrive and manage, mitigate uh, through these challenging times? Yeah, so review your policies, review your practices, what you have on paper, make sure it's reflected out in the actual care environment. Um, and if, you know, you're having staff that are sick, what might be a mild you know, illness to some of us might be potentially fatal to some of these patients in these nursing homes. So really just establishing a well-rounded program, the hand hygiene, surface disinfection, staying home if you're sick, uh, reviewing your processes, ensuring you have 
PPE readily available to support your teams. If you cannot support somebody, um, you know, who has COVID, say you do not have that PPE readily available, then obviously that's a situation where you need to contact your local hospitals to arrange um, transfer out of the facility. So just trying to keep everyone safe by going through all of these basic infection control measures right now. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Megan, for sharing this uh, with us today and for coming on to the show today. Really appreciate it. Um, you're here now live on LinkedIn, live on Facebook, and soon on the Nursing Home Podcast as well. Um, I apologize for my, <laughs> you know, I know we had some technical difficulties here, but this works just fine. It's good to know uh, that this can work as, uh, you know, just fine. If people want to learn more about you, about your company, um, or if they want to work with you directly, where is a good place to send them online? Yep, so they can email me directly. It's just my first initial M, last name Crosser, and it's at nodmd.com. Or they can check out our website too as well at www.nodmd.com. So we recently changed names from eInfectionMD to the NodMD specialist as we're bringing on more specialty care areas besides infectious disease. Nice. Okay, so nod, nod stands for something. Well, NOD. do you want good care? Do you want quick care? Do you want you know high specialty care? Yes. So uh-huh. nod. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, I see. So that's <laughs> the response to all those questions. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Nod MD. Okay, we have to talk marketing afterwards. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, nodmd.com. Okay, excellent. Fine. And that's where they can find everything about you, about the company. They can get in touch with you there. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on uh, on this live streaming episode of the Nursing Home Podcast. I hope you stay safe. Um, I hope that you, I know that you're already affecting, uh, you know, better infection control within the facilities that you serve. And I thank you for that. Thank them for being where they are. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know What an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.